Hi Cult Hackers, I'm Stephen Mather, one of the hosts of the Cult Hackers podcast. So this bonus episode was originally recorded as part of a series that I did called Cults on Film. In this episode, I review the movie Apostasy, written and directed by former Jehovah's Witness Daniel Cocatello, starring Siobhan Finneran, Molly Wright, Robert Evans and Sasha Parkinson. There are many spoilers in this review, so if you haven't seen the film and you want to watch it first without spoilers, as of recording, the film is available on a number of streaming platforms, including Amazon Prime and Apple TV. I think this is a very important movie for many reasons, not least as a way for society and those unfamiliar with the current policies of Jehovah's Witnesses to see how damaging this group can be. It's an emotional movie and in this review I will talk at length about its themes involving those of shunning and grief. It is a fictional story, but very much drawn from real-life experiences of a Jehovah's Witness family, Mother Ivana and her daughters Louisa and Alex, as they negotiate the demands of the organisation with conflicts with medical realities as well as personal needs and wants. It is a movie that provides a realistic and intimate glimpse into the minutiae of a world most non-Jehovah's Witnesses are unfamiliar with. As a former Jehovah's Witness myself, I can testify to its accuracy. The film begins with a prayer. For Jehovah's Witnesses, prayer is not reserved for communal worship or ceremonial occasions. Members are encouraged to pray to Jehovah constantly. A prayer can be carried out entirely in one's head whilst going about one's business. It's a device the film uses throughout to allow us into the inner world of the protagonists as we hear their supplications to God. The opening prayer is younger sister Alex. She's sorry and ashamed for what happened to her as a baby when the authorities enacted a court order to go against parental wishes and sanction doctors to give her a blood transfusion. Jehovah's Witnesses have a strict prohibition on blood and will neither eat blood food products or take it into the body through a transfusion. Although, of course, she was a baby and unaware, Alex, now 18, continues to live with a feeling of intense shame. We watch as her mother encourages her, some might say pressures her, into going to the doctors to put on record, now that she's an adult, her standing refusal to any treatment involving blood. Through the doctor, we learn that she has a chronic medical condition that means she could suffer anemia at any time, and the question of blood could become a real life or death issue. As a young person, she lacks the assertiveness demanded by her mother, so she takes over, insisting the doctors respect her daughter's wishes. So within the first five minutes of the movie, we've got a really important insight into how coercive control works. It's all embracing. She has inner feelings of guilt and shame, indoctrination and a parental figure reinforcing the rules. We see a glimpse of a magazine she's reading. It's one of the Jehovah's Witnesses publications called The Awake. The issue is back in 1994, May the 22nd. 
And I remember this particular issue. I was a young man in my late 20s at the time. The magazine features examples of young Jehovah's Witness children who made a stand on the blood issue. Their stories are harrowing, even reading them so many years later. A variety of experiences where minors have rejected the advice from doctors about the need for blood and lived, as well as those who rejected blood and died. But the message for Alex is clear. These are heroic figures, aspirational examples of faith in Jehovah and obedience to him and his organisation. She fetishises them. Alex and her older sister Louisa live in a northern English town and attend a local congregation, but are also members of a foreign language group. They're learning Urdu in order to be able to preach to a large Pakistani community they have in the area. Again, this is something I remember doing, although the standard of language skills seems much higher in this congregation than in the one I attended. We don't know exactly how old Louisa is in the film, but we know that she's older than her sister, 18-year-old Alex. So we know she's a grown woman, but although being a grown woman, she awkwardly mentions to her mother that her college course has now changed evenings and will conflict with the night of the meetings at the Kingdom Hall. Her mother is very clear and bluntly tells her, well, you can't miss meetings. Again, this is something I remember very well. Meeting attendance was placed at the level of priority. It was also seen as a barometer of how spiritual a person was. Oh, and he misses a lot of meetings means he's spiritually weak. Even attending another congregation's equivalent meeting on an alternative night was looked down upon if the reason was for some worldly pursuit, like going to college or partaking in some sort of sport. Louisa's mother dismisses the things in the world and demands that they focus on the truth. One of the things I really like about the film is the way that the language is used so well. In all groups there is a special type of language that's used by the followers and the truth is a way members of Jehovah's Witnesses describe their religion. They are in the truth. Someone who leaves has fallen out of the truth. A new member has come into the truth. This is a great example of the loaded language used within this organisation. Of course, if you believe that being a member of this particular group is the only way to find the truth, this means that everyone else must be in the lie, or at very least, lack the special knowledge only this organisation can provide. This is typical cult mentality and is explicitly stated by groups such as Jehovah's Witnesses. Unfortunately, it provides the basis for a warped view of the world and the people in it, and can make members socially awkward and suspicious of anyone not a witness. To add to the social awkwardness, members are expected to witness or preach about their faith at every opportunity. And we see this in the film as Alex gives a witness to Louisa's fellow worldly college attendees as she gives them a lift home. One of the passengers makes a a bit of small talk and asks Alex what she does for work. I've got a gardening job, she says, but I also pioneer. Of course, this is a way for Alex to talk about her faith. What's that? 
asks the female passenger. She then identifies herself as a Jehovah's Witness, much to the surprise of both passengers. And this demonstrates that Louisa has not told them already about her own religion, and hence at Louisa's level of devotion to her religion. It definitely seems less than Alex. I didn't know you were a Jehovah, says one of the colleagues. It's funny, even now, getting the name of the religion wrong like this sounds a discordant note to me. Louisa appears slightly embarrassed as her sister proceeds to give her witness and tells her sister to stop, but the passengers don't seem to mind. Alex goes on to explain that the world was never meant to have bad things in it, and that God will soon restore it to a paradise earth. Of course, the question from the passengers is, what will happen to everyone who's not a Jehovah? The answer is the sort of fudge that I used to make all of the time. Well, Jehovah will see what's in their hearts, but if they refuse to listen, he will have them removed. What does this actually mean? Well, the actual doctrine is that Jehovah will kill everyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness at Armageddon, God's great war. Of course, that's not the sort of thing that goes down very well with a potential convert, so it tends to get watered down so that everything is hedged in much more friendly language. But a look at the publications of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society and the many videos they produce. The message is clear. That's the purpose of the preaching work, after all, to save lives, to rescue people from destruction at Armageddon. Okay, back to the film. The first of two massive bombshells now happens. Whilst out for a walk with her mother and sister, Louisa hands her mum a scan of her unborn baby. Jehovah's Witnesses, in common with many fundamentalist groups, have a very strong purity culture. There are strict rules about sex and sexuality. Sex outside of marriage is absolutely forbidden. Louisa is brought before a judicial committee, where three elders, all male, ask her questions about her sex life and determine whether her conduct constitutes a gross sin and then whether she is showing sufficient repentance to remain a part of the congregation. We don't actually see this conversation. We stay with her mum, who sits outside, waiting to see what's going to happen. Alex's mum, Ivana, is of course desperate for her daughter to say the right things in that judicial hearing. She knows what it means for the elders to determine that she does not meet the required standard of repentance, however they decide it. Unfortunately, Louisa is disfellowshipped by the elders, which means that an announcement is made at the local Kingdom Hall, the place of worship, that the person, Louisa, is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Disfellowshipping is a devastating process. Effectively, it means being shunned by your former friends and family. Although it's a little bit more nuanced if the person is still living at the family home with what is considered normal but non-spiritual association allowed. In practice, however, disfellowshipping often means the adult daughter or son leaving home sometimes voluntarily, but often as a result of an ultimatum. In apostasy, Louisa leaves home and is subject to full shunning. Even her sister Alex will not speak to her. 
For Alex, the shunning is an act of loyalty to Jehovah and a sort of tough love to her sister. She's been told by the organisation that the only way for Louisa to rebuild her relationship with Jehovah is for her to accept her sin, repent and go through a lengthy process called reinstatement. Shunning, it's claimed, may mean that the person realises the cost of what they've done and be motivated to come back to Jehovah. The elders make it clear that the mother should have no association with her daughter unless absolutely necessary. Ivana tries to reason with them that she's pregnant and will need her help and support. And this will continue to be an area of conflict throughout the film as Ivana tries to do the right thing by her daughter and help her as she has her baby alone whilst at the same time remaining faithful to the organisation. The film now switches his attention to Alex's story. We see Alex trying on a skirt. The conversation with her mother is about modesty. Jehovah's Witnesses and the women in particular have to be very careful not to dress in a way that might be considered sexually provocative. At this point, we meet Stephen. In congregations of Jehovah's Witnesses, the leadership is made up of elders, all males who are responsible for the meetings, the preaching work and the discipline within the congregation. They have traditionally been older in years, hence the term elder, normally over 30, although not always, and Stephen is an example of what we would have called the oxymoron-sounding young elder. He's been appointed from a different congregation, and he's moved to serve where the need is greater. He's a bit of a high flyer, clearly. At this point, we observe the awkward beginnings of a Jehovah's Witness courtship. Stephen visits Alex while her mother is home, and expresses his interest in getting to know Alex. Alex is 18, and Stephen looks to be in his mid to late 20s. There is an air of a Jane Austen novel about these scenes, and this is absolutely realistic. After his visit, Alex's mother, Ivana, reminds Alex that this is a serious thing. It's not like in the world where dating can be seen as casual fun. When two Jehovah's Witnesses start courting, it's with a view to marriage. One of the most interesting and to many surprising scenes in the film is the Jehovah's Witness house party. In some ways, it's a curious mix of wholesome spiritual fellowship and worldly party fun. And again, this is is quite accurate in many settings. The children, dressed up in tea towels and cobbled together Bible period looking robes, perform a dubiously appropriate play where wise King Solomon comes up with an innovative method of adjudicating between two women who claim motherhood of a baby. He tells his soldiers to chop the baby in half and give half to each. He wisely knows that the real mother would rather give up the child than have it killed. The adults watch on smiling, alcoholic drinks in hand. There's pop music and some dancing. These sorts of events become to my mind, a sort of liminal social setting, somewhere in between the performative, wholesome association encouraged by the leadership of the organisation and the normal desire of people to take part in fun activities seen as normal within a culture in which they are semi-detached. 
Right, just to repeat, there are spoilers in this review and a big one coming up. Because at this point, the film provides a shocking kick to the stomach. At the party, we see Alex fainting, a recurrence of her medical condition that we learned about earlier. The next scenes don't really make it clear what's happened. Ivana comes out of the hospital alone, presumably after visiting Alex. We see Ivana at work, and then there's a visit by the elders. Alex fulfilled her desire to remain faithful by refusing a blood transfusion with the support of her mother, the elders, and the hospital liaison committee, a body set up by the Jehovah's Witnesses to advocate on behalf of the patient who doesn't want to have a blood transfusion, which is alluded to earlier in the film. Alex pays for this faithfulness with her life. This is something that can, has, and does happen in hospitals all around the world as this group continue to make a stand against this routine medical procedure. Up until this point, the film has been allowing us to peer inside a way of life most people are completely unaware of. The life appears slightly odd, perhaps a bit quirky, rather than damaging. But now the consequences of an unwavering belief in the interpretations of a group of ageing men in New York, completely out of touch with reality, comes home to roost. Ivana's youngest daughter is dead. Her only other child is having a baby, but she's told she must have nothing to do with her, apart from absolutely necessary family business. It's a desperate situation. Both of these situations are completely unnecessary and a direct result of the policies of the group they belong to. Ivana stoically continues on, going to work, interacting with teammates who really know nothing about her. The funeral is heartbreaking. Louisa comes to the funeral and actually has to ask for a space to be made for her to sit with her mother at the front of the hall. After the service, she is ignored. There are no words of comfort for Louisa. She's disfellowshipped, so her former brothers and sisters in her faith ignore her. Louisa's heart is breaking. As she goes to get her coat, her mother's love gains ascendancy for a moment, and they talk and hug. Ivana clings to her belief that Alex will be resurrected in the new system of things. She also tells Louisa, you know what you need to do. This is code for, if you don't come back to the religion, you will not be there to see Alex in the new system, because you'll be killed at Armageddon. The film now focuses upon Ivana and Louisa, and what sort of relationship they will have. Louisa has decided she's going to come back to meetings with the hope that the elders will reinstate her. The rules around how a person can become reinstated are quite opaque. She knows she must keep coming to meetings. She should come in, just as it's about to start, sit at the back or out of the way, so that she doesn't interact with any of the congregation. She will not be spoken to, and any attempts of her to talk to anyone will be looked upon as evidence of a lack of repentance. She is able to have an occasional meeting with the elders to discuss her progress, and she must officially request to be considered for reinstatement. It's hard not to see all of this as a way to shame her, 
and reinforce the power the elders have over her. At the same time, as Louisa tries to do whatever it takes to be reinstated, Ivana tries to find a way to help her daughter through her pregnancy on her own, and at the same time fulfil the requirements that she have no contact with her unless absolutely necessary. She goes round to Louisa's house to help with cleaning and making meals, but will not eat in the same room as her. They keep separate and have very little dialogue while she's there. This is ridiculous and is torture for both women. In addition, for Louisa, her ongoing contact with her mother, albeit in this painful and bizarre manner, is being held against her as evidence that she's not showing enough works of repentance. The scene is of a young woman sitting on her own in front of three elders, having to explain what she has done to show her repentance for having an adult and consenting sexual relationship. Frustrated, Louisa loses her temper with the unreasonableness of the elders and storms out of her meeting with them. You're not policemen of my life, she says. She's had enough. It's too hard. She tells her mother that it feels like Jehovah is punishing me all the time. Do you think it's right the way they make you treat me? cries Louisa. Ivana now says something that a Jehovah's Witness is very unlikely to ever say. But in my view is an acceptable step away from total realism because it actually says something important. Ivana says, God's love is conditional. So whilst this is something that is very unlikely for a Jehovah's Witness to actually say, it is absolutely the message received through the policies and behaviours Louisa has experienced. Conditional on obeying the rules, conditional on accepting the doctrines and interpretations of the leaders and conditional on submitting to the power of the elders. Stephen is on the platform giving a talk. It is clearly what's known as a local needs talk. These local needs talks are special talks developed and delivered because of something specific that's happening in the congregation. It's also clear that the talk is directed at Ivana and anyone else who might think it's okay to associate with a disfellowshipped person. Ivana is sat in the middle of the hall and realises it's about her. The shame. In the final scene, Ivana visits to see Louisa's baby. Louisa asks why she's come. I wanted to see my granddaughter, she says. She tells her she loves them both very much and begs her to come back to the truth. Louisa has had enough and by now has hardened her attitude. She's also started to research the organisation and is not liking what she's finding. It is at this point that the name of the film comes to fruition. Louisa tells her mum that the governing body just make it up. She also cannot believe how she could let her own daughter die for the need of a blood transfusion. It is now, finally, after all that Louisa has been through, that she becomes an apostate, someone who rejects her former beliefs. 
While her daughter is out of the room, Ivana, in a moment of insanity, grabs the baby and is trying to steal her. This seems unbelievable, but is symbolic of the belief that Jehovah's Witnesses have that that baby will ultimately die if it is not raised as, and then becomes, a Jehovah's Witness. Apostasy is a powerful movie, and absolutely rooted in the experiences of many current and former Jehovah's Witnesses. I thoroughly recommend it.